0: Dictinus, grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. Concerning the gods, I cannot know either that they exist or that they do not exist, or what form they might have, for there is much to prevent one's knowing the obscurity of the subject and the shortness of man's life. Welcome to Deep Dive 3, the 198th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of pre Socratic Greek philosopher Protagoras. You may call me Ode. Merry meet. my name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And the mother of our
1: other person who is here.
2: Call me Jackson. I'm Ode's brother.
0: Jackson's here! Jackson's here! Jackson's in the house. We lured him in (laughs) to yet another episode. That's right. So yes, this is going to be another deep dives. Like I said, I really did not intend for these to be deep dive, other episode, deep dive, other episode, deep dive, other. But that's just how it's turned out. It's turned into a pattern. (laughs) So just make your peace with it and... See how things get scheduled in the future. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, but we're going to start with housekeeping. So, Gwyn, next week you are doing something
1: very cool. Uh, this
0: upcoming weekend, actually. Oh, that's right, yes. That's
1: right. The The weekend of the 19th through the 21st. That's this weekend. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be teaching on Saturday the 20th at the Mid-Michigan Pagan Alliance Pagan Campout. And it is at uh, Rifle Lake, I mm-hmm. think. Um, it's like three and a half hours drive from here. <laughs> so it's Yonder. Out in another part of Michigan that I've not been to. Uh-huh. That'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. I'm going to be roughing it mm-hmm. in a tent. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it won't rain balls like it did last weekend. God,
0: yeah, we tried to. <laughs> we tried to go to Wolf Run,
1: oh. and it was just
0: pouring, pouring, rain. pouring, pouring,
1: pouring. We did our best to support. We made the, the- We made the rounds of the vendors of the three vendors that were able to keep their three or four, yeah, three or four still open that were still open. Everything else was closed down Uh because of the rain.
2: But we had a good time. Uh huh. There were some very cold people huddled around a fire.
1: Oh, it (laughs) just looked wet and miserable. So we all bundled up and had our umbrellas and we scurried
2: between the vendors.
1: Well, Jackson didn't because he's a tough dude. No, Jackson
0: just
2: two umbrellas. (laughs) There were only two umbrellas. You could have been under the umbrella with me. me. (laughs) Rain. <laughs> These two are such cats when yeah. it comes to getting
0: wet.
1: We are. I
0: don't like to get rained on.
1: But we had a good time, and uh, then we went into Grand Rapids for a while, and so it was a good time. But this weekend, I'm going to be at the Mid Michigan Pig and Alliance Camp Out, and it's gonna, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun, mm-hmm. and just being with other witchy folk.
0: Yeah. So if you'll be out in that area of Michigan, perhaps, see if you can still get a ticket join Gwen there. It sounds like there's going to be some cool events going, going on. But uh, I think that's it for housekeeping. I was going to say I think that's I think that's everything for this Pretty week's sure. housekeeping. Yeah, I think so. Yes, so we're going to be housekept and house swept. Oh! And now since we are doing a deep dive again, we're actually not going to start with Gwen this time. Thank you cuz Gwen on A cuz she called me out last time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because she has only one deity, so we're gonna save her for somewhere in the middle. Thank you. Um, but I want Jax to go first because he and I actually, by pure coincidence, chose some deities that have uh, a correlation. So, Jackson?
2: Okay. So, I picked Inanna, otherwise known as Ishtar, um, like the most important female deity of ancient Mesopotamia. Straight up, like the most important. She um,
0: shows up in a lot of mythology. She does. Yes, she does.
2: She actually has the most number of myths for one deity in all of ancient Mesopotamian literature. That's nice. very cool.
1: No wonder all the chants start with her.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, first, before I get into Inanna herself, I wanted to talk a little bit about some quirks to, to how humans perceived Mesopotamian deities, and which might give a little bit of context.
0: Yeah, because Mesopotamian religion was, like, fascinating. And I, sh- I guess we should cover real quick, like, Mesopotamia covers, like, the Sumerians, the Akkadians, the Babylonians, mm-hmm. that whole area.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for a very mm-hmm. long period of time. Yeah. The, the most important thing is deities were massive, mm-hmm. very large in size, often anthropomorphic, but not required to be. And they wore like a physical coating of a thing called Milam, I believe is how it's said, which was a substance that covered them in terrifying splendor.
0: Yeah, and it's how it's described is sort of weird because it like the way they describe it makes it seem like it's some sort of like jelly or yeah. substance.
2: It's this interesting like, Ectoplasm, like yeah. kind of viscous substance that, weirdly enough, when I think about it, it reminds me of the golden stuff from Greece.
0: Ambrosia? Yes. But like like just an ambrosia that you coats yourself oh, in. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Instead of a food, it's <laughs> yeah, it's like,
0: it's like a like a skin coating. Skin mm-hmm. coating. Which fit. I wonder if that might be like a paint.
2: Maybe. That's a good point. That's a good point. So the effect of a person seeing a malam is the it's described like in English as the physical creeping of the flesh. Yeah. So, so you that get this like very feeling. unsettled. Like oh, this thing is.
0: Dread. Yeah. You feel that that dread.
2: Dread and fear, because they were very, very, very powerful. They were and awesome. And to be awed and respected. Mm-hmm. They were
1: awesome in the sense of sense. the classic bringing out that dread and fear and awe mm-hmm. at
2: their amazingness. Their
0: splendor and power.
2: Yeah. In depictions of deities, they were almost always depicted wearing horned caps of up to seven pairs of ox horns.
0: Hmm. I have looked at these fucking Mesopotamian hats. They are conical, and they have horns on the side, and motherfucker, I'm telling you, that's what the Viking hats are. Yep, yeah. Uh, Everyone is like, oh, the Viking hats, the big conical helmet with the horns. No, you're thinking of Mesopotamia. (laughs) They
2: always make them be Uh the Viking hats, but but it's it's Mesopotamian hats. Yeah, just with less Oxhorns involved. Mm-hmm. More Not metal. Funny. They're also usually wearing like very elaborate outfits that have like gold and silver mm. and other adornments. And um, look upon them in splendor mm-hmm. and awe and fear. They're very rich and <laughs> fancy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I thought that just might give a little bit of context. And
0: I also think it's interesting that they're described as being like physically huge. Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Like. Um,
0: like Titanic in proportion.
2: Yeah. Like like it's gonna sound but in uh, in Hercules the animated movie uh huh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true that's true they were massive yeah and
0: then you they can like zoop themselves down mhm <laughs> they did that
2: in uh, Percy Jackson too oh yeah they did, did. They? yes they did they did okay so Inanna also known as Ishtar I think she was known as Ishtar to the Akkadians specifically mm, yeah So she was the Sumerian goddess of love, sexuality, prostitution, and war. She was Mm -hmm. the like patron deity of prostitution, which one I just think is neat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There needs to be more
0: More coverage for sex workers. More coverage for Mm -hmm. sex workers. Mm -hmm. I think
2: that's fantastic. Also, I love
0: that like the premier female deity of the Sumerians was the goddess of prostitution. Right? Love that. That's amazing.
2: Um, so she was the divine personification of the planet Venus, the morning and evening star. I believe that came later. Mm-hmm. So her parentage is like, it depends on what myth you're looking at. Isn't that <laughs> doesn't, familiar? Doesn't it always? <laughs> <laughs> Most commonly, she's presented as, as the daughter of Nana and Ningo, but um, sometimes she's the daughter of Enki or An with someone else unknown as the mother. Mm. So the majority of the myths about her revolve around her trying to usurp other deities' domains. Because she was a goddess of war and loved a good fight. Uh Uh And
0: she frequently steals shit. Yes. Lots of
2: theft, (laughs) lots of fighting, lots of ooh, you have some space that I would like. Mm -hmm. So she... The most famous myth about her is her descent into the underworld, which she attempted to conquer, which was the domain of one of her sisters. Oh, yes, I remember this one. Um, mm-hmm. Which I'm going to try to say this name, Erish Kigal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she was struck dead by the seven judges of the underworld. She was revived because of Enki's intervention, but her husband had to take her place. Um, her twin. Which,
0: which I'll be covering a little more. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, her twin brother is Utu, um, who's another very interesting god that mm-hmm. I, I don't know nearly enough about.
0: Maybe we'll cover him in a different oh, yes. That's right. deep dive. That's right.
2: But yeah, so she's uh, the enforcer of divine justice, which explains a lot
0: <laughs> about her her whole general deal. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So the main city of Anana is Uruk, which might sound familiar. Um, from anybody that's read the tale of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Because she's one of the most well-known and popular deities of the time period, she had temples in every important city. Every single one.
0: Which is, I mean, that's a feat. Yeah. <laughs> well, she
2: took a lot of territory. That's it's like,
0: true. <laughs> I, have, I have one of those, I and one,
2: one of those, those. <laughs> and one of those.
0: Just collecting them. Yeah.
2: So she's also considered, probably because there are the most myths about her, so we know the most about her, mm. she's considered to be one of the most complex Mesopotamian deities with a lot of paradoxical things about her. Mm. Like, there are some very, like... Her her sexuality is very explicit, which probably is why she's the, the deity of prostitution mm-hmm. and sexuality and fertility. Right. Um, because I believe... One of the poems involving her, a very young Inanna, was like, "Ah yes, plow my vulva, man that I that I love." Like, well, that's explicit. That's exactly okay. what you want to happen. Okay, perfect, <laughs> clear. She's,
0: she's she's given specific instructions. <laughs> she knows what she wants. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. She's not afraid to ask for it. That's no. right. So that is
2: the most that I could find about her without doing, like, weeks of research. Right.
0: <laughs> because mm-hmm. the amount
2: of myths about her that are still around, at least in pieces parts, are so many. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: I think uh, my, my general vibe on Inanna is that she's, like, the embodiment of gaslight gatekeep girl boss. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 100%. <laughs> um,
2: just an interesting tidbit, I suppose. There is a cylinder seal at the British Museum showing the goddess Ishtar full face carrying weapons standing on a mountain. It dates to 2300 BCE. That's cool. Yeah, I believe she was worshiped all through the 3rd, 2nd and 1st millennia. That is amazing.
0: That's I mean that's some that's, that's staying, some staying power. power. Yeah. <laughs> So I but and I truly it was pure coincidence we did not consult about this beforehand. You,
1: you say it's coincidence, but maybe Inanna had a plan. That's true.
0: Maybe Inanna did. I chose as one of my deities Ninshubur, who is Inanna's sukkal. So um, Inanna was one of the major deities. Mesopotamian religion broke the deities into sort of two categories, predominantly the major deities and the sukkal, who were the viziers. Or the servants of the major deities. So Ninshubur was Inanna's Sukal, her vizier, often described as her beloved vizier. Ninshubur also sometimes um, worked as An's Sukal. An was the chief deity of Mesopotamian religion for most of. The period that Mesopotamian religion was being actively and
2: as a reminder, one of the contenders for possibly Inanna's father.
0: Yes, <laughs> um, and An was a sky god, so Ninshubur is thought to have been originally Inanna's vizier specifically, and then like picked up side work as An's as one of An's viziers, but. That role gave her access to, being also An's vizier, gave her access to all of the gods. And so she functioned sort of as a messenger or go-between between between all of the gods. But her primary loyalty was to Inanna. Uh, Inanna was her mistress. Her name could mean a couple of things. It could mean, like, from or queen of this place called Subarat, or it could mean Queen of Servants. Queen of Servants probably makes the most sense given what her role yeah, was. she was a- because she was the earliest known sukal. She was the the first of these vizier deities to develop.
1: Every time you say the word vizier, I think of the bad guy from. Aladdin. I know you
0: do, um, <laughs> but it's just a role in I a royal know. household. <laughs>
2: Uh-huh. I mean, it's a good example for what that it rule is, might have Yeah, it exactly. Is.
0: And very much so, actually, because one of the the ways that the Sukal are described and are sort of understood by modern academia studying ancient Mesopotamia is that they were the sort of practical embodiment of the execution of a higher god's command. So because the higher gods were so vast and powerful and terrifying, It was dangerous to mortals for them to act directly on the earth, so sometimes one of the higher gods would make a commandment, Mm -hmm. or uh, what was called a me, which is something that Inanna stole one time, Um, (laughs) uh, sort of a divine law, and it was the responsibility of the Sukals to execute those commands and to perform those actions on the earth. Ninshubur was very much Inanna's, like, right-hand person. Mm -hmm. She, in, like, lists of Inanna's households, always comes first. Before Inanna's consorts, before any other family members, Ninshubur is always listed first among her house, very very high high up. up. Inanna's relationship with Ninshubur is kind of unclear. So Ninshubur has no known parentage, and she only has a spouse in one very late tradition, Mm -hmm. and only in a specific region. Mm -hmm. She's usually single, she has no known parents, and her primary relationship is with Inanna, but the specifics of that relationship are super vague. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, she's usually listed before Inanna's consort, Inanna calls her her beloved. So during the myth where Inanna goes to the underworld and dies Mm -hmm. and has to be resurrected, Inanna predicts that this is going to happen, right? And she tells Ninshubur... She tells her household, um, but Ninshubur in particular, as sort of the head of her household, mm-hmm. if I'm not back in three days, do these specific things, mm-hmm. mourn me in these specific ways, and send somebody down to get me. And so Ninshubur does this after the three days, and she sends Enki down to bring uh, Inanna back, and, and that all works out. But her consort, Dumozoi, is the one who is sent down in her place because the the servants of death or the Gala, come up to to take Inanna back mm-hmm. from Enki, they try to take Ninshubur as a replacement, and Inanna refuses mm-hmm. because Ninshubur followed her instructions and yep. is her beloved Sukal, and she's absolutely not going to repay that by sending Ninshubur down to the underworld, so she sends her husband instead. Mm-hmm. Just
2: Tosses him to the wolves because
0: he because he didn't he didn't mourn her enough or correctly, like Ninshubur, her beloved vizier, did. Uh-huh. So like, well, she is
2: a person who gives various explicit instructions that you need to follow. Mm-hmm. So exactly in mm-hmm. all things, and
0: and Ninshibur did, and dumazai didn't. So Dumazai got sent down to the underworld. So there's that sort of like there's maybe an implication that uh, Ninshubur and Inanna had like. Maybe a sexual or a romantic relationship of some kind. But then there are also occasions where Inanna refers to Ninshubur like a child referring to a mother. Mm-hmm. Ninshubur is sometimes called mother of the earth. Mm. So like there are these hints that maybe they have more of a parent-child relationship and Ninshubur as her vizier is acting as, like, the, in, in this advisory capacity to Inanna, because she also has, like, the special role of appeasing Inanna's wrath. She's, like, the only person who can calm Inanna's rages. Kind of She gives me. Inanna good advice, even if Inanna doesn't always follow it. So the I think the the only conclusion we can really draw about Inanna and in Ninshubur is mm-hmm. that they had a very close, intimate relationship yeah. of some kind. Of some well,
2: kind. And something to keep in mind is in a lot of ancient cultures having close, intimate relationships with or without sex involved mm-hmm. weren't labeled as such in That's the way true. that exactly. we do now. Exactly. They were so, just close as people. So
0: it may and, be that they had a relationship that simply can't be defined in modern terms.
2: Husband didn't pass the vibe check.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah, Raina Grace's says husband didn't pass the vibe check. Deserved it, in my opinion. She accompanies Inanna and helps Inanna on a lot of adventures. She tries to get Inanna out of trouble a lot. She tries to calm Inanna down when she's on the warpath. But like I said, she is sometimes called Mother of the Land, which is a weird otherwise sort of unexplained aspect of Ninshibur. She gets this title in a few places mm-hmm. with no explanation and we see her occasionally doing things like managing pastures like bringing the sheep into mm-hmm. the fold and creating uh, irrigation systems and stuff like that. So it seems like she isn't an earth goddess herself, necessarily, mm-hmm. but is possibly at Inanna's instruction under her like fertility role, mm-hmm. given this responsibility for managing the earth.
2: It makes sense if she has the role of taking care of the earth because of the fact that Mesopotamian deities couldn't go themselves.
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and Ninshuborv sort of generally is considered the intercessor between mortals and not just Inanna, but all of Mm, the higher gods. mm -hmm. So as one of the primary intercessors between mortals and gods, she actually had, although she didn't have, like, temples to her Mm -hmm. um, because she wasn't one of the higher gods, Mm -hmm. she was very present in people's sort of everyday religious practice because Mm -hmm. if you wanted a god to do something for you, you you went went through... Ninchibor. She was the manager. Exactly. And she would like direct your your prayer to the appropriate god and make sure they weren't in a bad mood when she brought it to them. Mm. And, you know, so and like if you if you were pretty sure a god was angry with you and was like spoiling <laughs> your crops, you would go to Ninchibor and be like, "I'm so sorry. How do I fix?" <laughs> and Ninchibor <laughs> would like consult with the god, find out why they were angry. And, Jackson's over here cracking up. And, and, oh, just, and giving instructions for how to fix it.
2: I find it very funny that Ninshubur is, is basically the caretaker slash babysitter slash like manager of a boy band who's kind of
0: finicky. <laughs> <laughs> she was also often associated with the kings of particularly a city called Lagash. Mm. A, a majority of the kings of Lagash considered Ninshubur to be sort of their, their patron deity mm-hmm. because... Being close to Ninshabor, they were correspondingly close to all of the other higher gods. Okay, Elle's got it. She's Pepper Potts. She's, she is. She's Pepper Potts. <laughs> Her symbols were she was associated with a staff. That was a typical mm-hmm. symbol of authority for the Sukals. And so as the first of the Sukals, obviously she had a staff. The mm-hmm. general consensus was that it was the responsibility of the sukkal to go before their assigned god, the, the god who they were the vizier of, and sort of clear the way for them with mm-hmm. the staff. Sort of presenting the staff was a way to confer authority to mortals. So, mm. like, kingship could be conferred by a sukkal handing you a staff. So they had sort of some relationship to, like, coronation events and things like that. She was also associated with doors and passageways, probably because of the the underworld story. And, and, and the messenger thing. And the messenger thing. Mm-hmm. And she was associated with shoes. <laughs> she, well,
1: Unclear I'm why. just saying, Inanna... She likes her. She likes her things. And
0: it, yeah, and Inanna at one point. Her re- stuff. Inanna at one point refers to Ninshubur as the lady of the lapis lazuli shoes. So, huh. Yeah. So, Maybe
1: Ninshubur liked some shoes.
0: Unclear.
2: Sounds that's like really interesting. That honestly sounds like a story that's just been that's lost exactly. Time. Yeah. That we've lost yeah. the specifics
0: of, is, of Ninshubur's fancy shoes.
1: Which is kind of
0: sad when you yeah. think about it. I'd like to know about her like fancy to, shoes. We'd love to know about. Those those fancy shoes and how heavy they were. Mm. Um,
2: oh, made a lapis, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> but there's also an interesting element of Ninshubur that I want to cover really fast, and then I'll be done with Ninshubur. Even no, though, no, I think it's fascinating. I love Ninshubur. She's, she's um, fascinating. So there's a big. I've been referring to Ninshubur this whole time with feminine pronouns.
1: But
0: but there's a big question mark about Ninshubur's gender. Nin, the prefix for Ninshubur's name, means queen. But it is both a feminine and a masculine uh, prefix. It's used for male and female names interchangeably. It's considered gender neutral. So that doesn't give us a clue. In most, but not all, of the early texts referring to Ninshubur, she is female. In some and most of the later texts referring to Ninshubur, he is male. There is no explanation for why that switched. So there are a lot of theories. There are some theories that like when Ninshubur was working for Inanna, she was female. And when Ninshubur was working for An, he was male. Mm-hmm. Because typically, though not always, the gender of a sukkal matched the gender of the deity they worked for. So there's a theory that like maybe when Ninshubur was working for male deities, he had a masculine gender presentation. And when working for female deities, she had a feminine gender presentation. That makes sense to me. There are some theories that this was a result of syncretism because there were Mm -hmm. some Sukals who sort of fell out of prominence and were sort of, like, Ninshubur took on their responsibilities. Like, An had other Sukals who Ninshubur sort of absorbed. And so the thought is, like, when Ninshubur took over those roles... She also took that sort of presentation and became more masculinized, or was syncretized by by further cultures blending into the original Sumerian understanding mm-hmm. of Ninshubur with, like later Akkadian and right. and further um, Mesopotamian. Uh, especially Semitic influenced mm-hmm. um, religions, which tended to be more masculinely dominated. I
2: would also be interested to know about the Mesopotamian perception of gender, because I know there are some cultures in which the job in which you do is what gender you are. If you take on masculine jobs, you have a masculine role. Yes. Mm. So
0: there's actually another theory about Ninshubur. There. So the I mentioned the the gala, as these priests who from the underworld who came to. Try to collect Inanna, and Inanna wouldn't let them take Ninshibur, and so they took uh, Dumuzoi. There was an actual priestly class of human beings called Gala, and they had a very confusing gender situation. Hard to say exactly what the situation was based on the evidence we still have, but it seems like the Gala were a priestess class which was filled by men. So men would become these priestesses Mm -hmm. and take on feminine roles and possibly engage in some kind of homosexual activity in Inanna's specifically honor, presumably because of all her sexuality and prostitution associations. And so, like, there's some theories that Ninshubur may have, especially because she had this close relationship to Inanna and because the Gala had this relationship to Inanna... There's some speculation that Ninshubur may have had a gender presentation like a gala. Mm. She's never described in the text as a gala, but that could just be because her role specifically was as the highest servant in a household and not that she didn't have that same sort of what we would now consider basically a trans identity mm-hmm. or or position or role in society so it's very unclear exactly what the situation is with with Ninshubur's gender personally uh i i choose to interpret this as ninshubur first gender queer. yeah a deity
1: that's very cool um
0: but yeah so so gender with ninshubur Big question marks. Academia still debates. Probably will forever. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's something that's really difficult to know unless you find something that explicitly states, which was probably something that was so common to the culture it that wouldn't it, have been. That it was it just never. Have, yeah. yeah, it, it was. It was not addressed. written
0: down in anything we still have access to. Yeah, yeah. How and you write
2: down your societal structure when everybody knows it
0: exactly. And and like the stuff about the gala, we don't have like no one wrote down like these were people who were born with penises, but are you know referred to by feminine pronouns and have sacred sex yeah, in the temple because it was a, just like that yeah duh, that's a gala yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so it like
0: accepted as normal exactly so there was no reason
2: to notate it exactly mm-hmm. that's something that you do when you're researching something not when you're living it
0: as el says we don't need to write down that cement recipe <laughs> <laughs> right or or the route to punt all these things we lost just because they were common knowledge yep exactly yeah so that's that's one of the, the more fascinating aspects of Ninshibur. And I personally, like I said, I choose to see Ninshibur as a genderqueer deity. Yeah. Maybe not in original formulation, in, in like the original mm-hmm. Ninshibur, but I think by this point, yeah. after thousands of years of development, Ninshibur mm-hmm. could comfortably be described as genderqueer. Yeah, exactly.
1: And I think it's fascinating, too, how the Mesopotamian religions and deities and practices and beliefs and laws and mm-hmm. things informed so many other
0: yes oh, yeah,
1: mythologies and societies.
0: The Mesopotamians were so open to syncretism. Yes. So like, even within Mesopotamia, like you have the Sumerians, you have mm-hmm. the Akkadians, you have the Babylonians, you have the Hittites. Like, these were all separate cultural groups, but there's mm-hmm. so much overlap between mm-hmm. their their religious structures because they syncretized from each other constantly. Yeah.
2: I mean, that would probably have something to do with why they lasted so dang long. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For a yeah. very very, <laughs> a very long time. Very long time. Very long t- join our tiger crystal at apothecary teas this shop produces fragrant aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses with handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green this week ode is recommending blueberry mojito a gunpowder green tea blend with hints of spearmint lime and blueberry featuring exciting pops of color from blue cornflower blossoms find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on facebook at Apothecary teas, LLC. Hail, Hail Dictinus. Dictinus!
0: Excellent read, Jackson. Oh,
2: thank you.
1: Okay, so it's my turn. Yes. And the deity I wanted to talk about today is Epona. Ooh. Yes. She is the Gallo-Roman goddess of horses' protection and fertility. Okay. And she's Gallo-Roman because it's a, she it's a fusion between traditional practices of the Gauls, who were originally Celtic speakers in mm-hmm. the area, you know, the region that we know now as France, and the Roman and Hellenistic religions that were introduced under Roman occupation and in, you know, their imperial rule. Mm-hmm. So, Interestingly, Epona was like the only Celtic deity That spread not only from her origins, Mm -hmm. but throughout the entirety of the Roman Empire. It's
0: because Romans loved horses.
1: They did. (laughs) And so she went from being a protector of horses, ponies, donkeys, and mules, a goddess of fertility, like she would be shown with cornucopia and sheaves of grain and Mm -hmm. horses, and she would be placed between foals and things like that, Mm -hmm. to being the goddess of the Roman cavalry. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I tell you, Romans <laughs> love. They loved horses. Her.
1: They loved their horses and because of that they loved Depona Uh-huh. The, they were like they have a whole deity for horses. Horses. She's ours now. She's a horse deity. That's <laughs> so cool. To this day, you can find shrines to Epona from you know the area that she originated in Gaul, mm-hmm. all the way throughout the former Roman Empire, the former Roman Empire, and Canada. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, she's everywhere.
2: And they I had, love that Canada's just thrown just, in there just and some, Canada <laughs> for some
1: reason. Like, why? <laughs> Do you think it's possible that she and her horses would have led souls to the underworld because oh. some of her, in addition to like cornucopia and sheaves Mm -hmm. and foals and things like that keys were also a part of her Mm. her symbology in some areas maybe as time went by later with the Romans making her popular Mm -hmm. in their in their world but so they think that possibly she and her horses would lead souls to the underworld the and her her name, Epona, which means great mare, or actually on mare, or on horse. So like riding. Yeah, riding. It's derived from the Gaulish language and Proto-Celtic, but it has, it's like combined with augmentative suffixes on, but it is only found in Latin and sometimes in Greek, written as far as inscriptions.
0: So what you're telling me is we don't know what her Gallic name yeah, was. Yeah, we
1: don't know what her, uh, well, they think that her Gallic name was Epona, it's derived from Proto-Celtic, but that the one name that the Romans didn't change.
0: Oh, okay. They
1: didn't give her a Roman equivalent, right? But they, they just, might
2: have Romanized it slightly for like spelling. Yeah, spelling. for
1: spelling. I gotcha. You can find her poems about her. There she was. There are inscriptions to her. They said her worshippers included anyone from the Celts to Germans, Romans, others within the empire. And there's even an inscription to Epona that is attributed to a Syrian devotee because if you were involved in the cavalry right if you loved horses horses were a mainstay of mm-hmm. life you were most likely you know Epona was a very important deity mm-hmm. and so she there were cults of Epona all you know all over the known Roman empire and there were shrines to her both in homes mm-hmm. and in businesses and in shelters where you any, would... You know, any stables. Place that, yeah,
0: any place that relied on horsepower, any which place, was pretty much everything. Exactly, yeah. Everything that didn't that, rely on an ox instead.
2: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, basically up until industrialization, yeah. horses mm-hmm. were an integral part of society.
0: There's a reason that... Horse thieving used to carry a death sentence. Mm -hmm. The
1: feast day was given to her by the Romans because Mm -hmm. she was an important goddess to them. And so December 18 was her day, Epona's Mm -hmm. day. It is still celebrated today by witches and pagans and druids and Mm -hmm. and people who honor the Celtic deities. She was incorporated into the imperial cult by being invoked on behalf of the emperor as either Epona Augusta Mm -hmm. or Epona Regina. Ooh! Fancy riding. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. So, any, anyone, basically, who had any association mm-hmm. to horses needed the protection. Which was most people. Yeah. Or the protection or fertility of both, you know, the animals mm-hmm. and people so and whatever. Say a prayer to
0: Epona that your horse doesn't throw you.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Probably your, you know, your battles mm-hmm. and, and all kinds of things. They would reach out to Epona and they would honor her and worship her all across the known Roman Empire. Of course, she was written about up until as late as the second century by Roman writers. But this is what I thought was interesting. There's, you know, there's Inferences, references to her in modern literature
2: and stuff, oh. including a uh what is it? A video game, Legend of Zelda. Legend yeah. of Zelda. She's the name oh, yeah.
0: of Link's horse in Le- Ocarina yep, of
2: Time. Exactly. Actually, that that name carried on in many other games. Yes, it's it just does. The yep. name of Link's horse. Yep. Yes,
1: but and this is the part I was like, big old what? On Mackinac Island here in Michigan, it is a place where automobiles are are forbidden. Na- are forbidden it's right? all horses. It's all horses and bikes. Mm-hmm. And they annually, in June, celebrate Epona.
0: Oh, next year we gotta
1: go. Right? They do stable tours, they do a blessing of the animals, they have a parade, an Epona parade. Oh, we gotta go to that. I know, I thought the same thing. And and the Feast of Epona involves blessing the horses and the animals. By the local
2: Uh churchmen.
1: Yeah, no, we're
0: going to that next year. Absolutely. (laughs) I've never
2: been to Mackinac Island.
0: Me neither.
1: That's a
2: good enough reason to go. Exactly.
1: I know. I just thought, I was like, we're going to take a trip.
2: We're going to
1: Mackinac Island (laughs) to honor Epona. Obviously, if you are going to honor Epona, you bring something for her Mm -hmm. and something for her horse. Uh huh. Uh huh. And she is always depicted with horses, whether she is, there's five different ways that she might be depicted. Um, She is either seen riding. Okay. standing or seated before two horses as a tamer of horses and as the mare and, and foal. Ah. And so you'll often see her because she was ca- called the great
0: mare. So sometimes she's like a woman riding a horse yeah, and as sometimes as she, she is, she is so. the, the horse.
1: horse. And gotcha. usually she's like a great white horse. Nice. And there are some correlations between her and Rhiannon, mm-hmm. um, who is from the Mabinogion. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as... Epona, she is probably one of the oldest deities, longest revered Mm -hmm. uh, deities as far as like from her origins all the way across the the, uh, Roman Empire. She's one of the few, if not only, Celtic deities that was... Brought along, and it's because of the horses.
0: Horses it's all the Horses. Time.
1: Yep, she is the goddess of the cavalry.
0: <laughs> Very cool.
2: So for my second deity, I picked um, Manannan Mac Makt- 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 Lir. I always want to say Mac mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why. Manannan Mac Makt- He's part of the Tuatha Dé Danann, a Irish. Specifically, deity though Manannan MacLir does also show up in Scottish and Manx, which is the Isle of Man I say, I mythology. Swear he's got something
0: mm-hmm. with the Isle of Man.
2: Yes, so there is some debate on whether or not Manonan is named for the Isle of Man or the Isle of Man is named after Manannan.
0: But either way, some relationship.
2: Yes. So some interesting things about Manannan is that he's the deity of the sea and of literature, mm. and the king of the underworld, both ruler and guardian. And also a very, like, prolific deity in mythology. So Irish mythology is broken into four cycles. Mananan appears in all four cycles, though not always in a major role. Okay. Uh, most of his major roles are, are isolated to a few specific myths spread across all four cycles. Okay. Interesting, every time I see... Uh, Manannan Mach-Lear mentioned, he's known as the legendary sea god.
0: Mm. So, as opposed to all those non-legendary sea gods. Right? <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know why, but the specific the specificity of it, and every time, I oh, thought it was interesting. He is the son of Lear, Lear means sea, who was a great sea god, and Manannan eventually took over the role. This is a belief kind of specific to the Isle of Man, but they consider Manannan mach to have been the first ruler of the Isle of Man and would have had a palace and throne there. Hmm. So he's a master of tricks and illusion and has many, 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 many magical possessions (laughs) that he sometimes... Loans out to other to other gods and figures.
0: To, to um, heroes.
2: And her- heroes, yeah. He had a horse, Anbar, that could gallop across the waves of the sea like they were solid ground. He also had, again, very Legend of Zelda, a uh, sentient self-steering ship. Nice. Spectacular. No oars, no sails, just sailed itself. Nice. Um, Excellent. Love that. Mananen's cloak could change to any color he wanted. And he used it to kind of disguise himself. I was going to say he used
0: that for, like, camouflage. Yeah,
2: he could also cloak himself in mist and disappear.
0: Man, that sounds cool as hell. So
1: he had a cool, cool vehicle. A cool and, horse. And was a, cool a sharp dresser.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, interestingly, though, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Isle of Man. It tends to be fairly misty there. Mm. Mm. I flew over the Isle of Man several times, and it's gorgeous, but you can't see a ton of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's thought that his great illusion cloak protected the yeah. Isle of Man. That makes sense. Okay. One of Manannan's most powerful possessions was his sword called the fragrach or Answerer.
0: Mm.
2: <laughs> the very sight of this sword could fill men with fear and weakness. That makes sense. That's promising. And any wound given by the sword was fatal.
0: Ooh, so you even get nicked by it. Yep. Wow. This um, is a this is no a wonder weapon they dodge it. instead of like trying yes. to take the hit.
2: Yep. Um at one point both his horse and his sword were loaned to Lou for a few great battles. Mm. Oh. Um apparently he just had so many possessions that he was like, Ah, you could use this.
0: <laughs> you can have my most powerful sword, no big deal. <laughs>
2: So he carried Just don't. lose it. huh. He carried many more um magical possessions in what is called his crane bag. I'm not sure Ooh. the distinction of
0: that. What makes a crane what bag makes a crane it, bag?
2: Yeah. Maybe it's the shape. But so he kept language, huh. birds, hounds, and extraordinarily magical pigs. All the things like,
0: a man needs. huh.
2: <laughs> but yeah, because he was that's sort of the reason why he's considered to be the the god of literature because he literally carted around language. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Just pulled it out as necessary. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. um, but so these very magical pigs, I find entertaining because any time one of those pigs is slaughtered, it will show up whole and hail in his magical bag the
0: next day. Okay, teleporting pigs. Yeah,
2: teleporting immortal technically mm-hmm. pigs. So something that I didn't get into because I didn't think I would have enough time. There are many, and I mean many, folk tales about Manannan Maklear and Saint Patrick having some beef. Unsurprising. Unsurprising. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you're interested, there are many to look into. <laughs>
0: Gotta look into that. Mm-hmm. He sounds like a very cool I, dude. Like, yes. Like yeah. I think he
2: is fantastic. And it's interesting that he's both Irish, Scottish, and the Isle of Man. That yeah. whole area. That whole area. Very, Very cool. cool.
0: I am going to cover one more god, and then we'll wrap it up. Wrap I'll try up. to I'll try to go fast. I'm going to talk about Baal-Haman now. Baal-Haman was the chief god of Carthage. Quick background on Carthage. Uh, it was a city-state in Tunisia. It was established by the Phoenicians, but contact was lost. So it was like a, a Phoenician colony, mm-hmm. but contact was lost between Carthage and the main Phoenician empire um, after a couple of wars that happened. So Carthage developed its own distinctive identity. And eventually there was actually a Carthaginian empire. Carthage eventually had huge beef with Rome. There were three Punic wars, which were the wars between Carthage and Rome. Mm. And at the end of the third one, Rome just obliterated Carthage. Yeah. Carthage was no more. Like wiped it off the fucking map. And then rebuilt a new one to be the seat of their new colony in Tunisia.
1: That was what they tended to yeah. do. Yeah, that sounds like yeah, Rome.
0: They but I mean they didn't usually do this level of devastation. Yeah. Like the
2: Usually not building up from the studs. Mm.
0: Yeah, the extent to which Rome destroyed Carthage was, like, unfathomable. It's probably because they kept defying them. Yeah, so they had... The first Punic War was over, like, basically an unrelated matter that they both got involved in, and they started to dislike each other. And then the second Punic War, they were fighting over some, like, territory, because Carthage had some, like, really prime agricultural real estate that Rome really, really wanted. And then... The Third Punic War happened, and Carthage, like, was not in a good position. Rome had, like, ballooned dramatically, and Carthage, like, desperately wanted to not be in a war with Rome, so they kept acceding to Roman demands. Mm. So, like, Rome demanded 300 Carthaginian children as hostages, and Carthage was like, Okay, here you go. And Rome was like, cool, great, thanks. Also, we're going to need all of your weapons. And Carthage was like, oh. and you won't kill us then? And Rome was like, promise, pinky swear. And Carthage was like, all right, here's all our weapons. And then there was a three-year siege, and Rome burnt Carthage to the ground. Kind of
2: like Elle said, fuck your entire city. Good location, though. Yeah, yeah. That apparently only 300 hostages... Would have escaped. Hmm.
0: Yeah, well, there were about 50,000 Carthaginians who survived and were taken as Roman slaves. Yeah, that sounds about, that tracks. And that was the end of... Of Carthage. Carthage and Carthaginian society. Punic society in general, honestly. Like, a few sort of Punic cultural artifacts Mm. survived throughout Rome, but also so did phrases like Punic faith, which meant just, like, dishonesty. Like, Rome never got over how much it hated Carthage. Right. Part of the reason that Rome claimed to hate Carthage was that the Carthaginians had a practice... Or were, well, they're claimed to have had a practice. The the truth of the matter is ambiguous. Um are claimed by Roman writers to have had a practice of child sacrifice. See, they always went that route. They so, went that
2: route with the Celts, too. And when all that survives is the Roman route, Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So there's a lot of propaganda pieces by various Roman writers, um, most of them writing after the fall of Carthage, right. who claimed that there was huge amounts of ritual, religious child sacrifice being done in Carthage. Hold
2: up. So then they could say, oh, no, we saved those 300 exactly. children. We saved Ex- the 300 Exactly. Children.
0: Like, this was an established, like, claim about Carthage, so they could take the 300 children back to Rome and be like, look, we've liberated them. We saved them. some children. So this was, like, a really widespread claim and really contributed to why Carthage was so hated by, like, the average Roman not because the Romans didn't kill children. They absolutely did. They had a practice of exposure where they would, inconvenient infants were just yeah. left out in the to wilderness die. to die. That was just how you got rid of children you didn't want. I, I mean, that's just the reality of it. And that was just normative in Roman society. Mm-hmm. Their objection was not that Carthage was killing children, their objection was that Carthage was religiously killing, killing children. children. Yeah. So they were just killing children the wrong way, basically, was, was the Roman concern.
1: And that's not surprising either, that that would be a Roman take. Uh-huh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Brianna Gray says, you can't just kill them directly, just leave them somewhere for something else to kill them. Yeah. So, but the, the claim was that the Carthaginians were just sort of constantly sacrificing their children all the time to, to various gods. And one of the gods... How would they maintain a population? That's, that's <laughs> one of the reasons that that's a big old question mark uh, um, in modern academia. It's actually a very hotly contested subject in Carthaginian study so for a long time everyone was just like well this was obviously Roman propaganda we can't trust any of this especially since some of the writers who made these claims a their accounts didn't correlate to each other Mm -hmm. like they all made claims that the Carthaginians sacrificed children but but they all made yeah they all made completely different claims about how they did it Mm -hmm. or why or in what numbers so like none of them were consistent and also, some of the writers who were making these claims were writers that we know were bullshit artists. <laughs> <laughs> so so there was a lot of question marks, and there was just sort of a general consensus that this was unlikely to have been the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but then in the 1920s, a an excavation of site of ancient Carthage discovered what we call a a tophet based on a a biblical description because mm. we don't know what the Carthaginian name for this place was, was. um but we discovered this basically moth ma- this child mausoleum mm-hmm. that was full of urns that contained the burnt remains of children mostly toddlers and younger Mm -hmm. including some prenatal remains Mm -hmm. um and it also some of the urns also contained the burnt remnants of animals mostly lambs so that provided some like genuine evidence that at the very least children were cremated in Carthage now the question is were these children was it just like the, the tradition that children were cremated instead of inhumed mm-hmm. or uh, especially
2: since um, uh, the death rates of young children in in history is high. quite high
0: mhm exactly yeah the in Fortality rome there we go. yeah in rome at this time the mortality rate for infants, we know because the Romans kept good records, was like a third. Yeah. A third of infants that's why were they, dying that, in Rome.
1: That's why they had so many goddesses and deities
2: of uh, fertility and childbirth. Mm-hmm. And lambs are symbolic of purity and innocence, mm-hmm. so it may have been a sacrifice of the lambs to protect...
0: Children. Exactly, and? especially because sometimes the bones of the lambs were in the same urn with the bones of a child. Yeah. Gotcha. So, super unclear where exactly these remains came from, mm-hmm. and if these, these children, especially these mostly infants, were being sacrificed or... Or if they were just being buried. Now, there is some evidence that suggests they were being offered as, like, offered to the gods in some way. Because Mm -hmm. there would be inscriptions like, thank you for hearing my prayers, and Mm -hmm. things like that, with the urns. But it's unclear if that was, like, this infant was sacrificed for this purpose, or this infant died and it was taken, like, the gods took them, Mm -hmm. or, like...
2: Yeah. So it's
0: very unclear exactly what what the situation was. All we know for sure. Taken in like three separate ways. Exactly. There are a lot of different ways to interpret this evidence.
1: And if there was a if there was a practice of when children died, they would sacrifice a lamb and bury them together with you know you know for the gods to take. It's certainly possible the Romans could misinterpret that as well. Exactly.
0: So what seems most likely. To me, and what is sort of the most, like I said, this is a hotly contested topic, but the, the view that seems to be most common in academia with respect to Carthaginian child sacrifice is that they may have sacrificed some children during times of Dire crisis, Mm -hmm. but that preferentially animals were sacrificed. When children were sacrificed, they were usually like the children of a noble family. So it would be like a king sacrifice in some other cultures, where like a king is sacrificed to ensure the safety of the people. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the first
2: or the firstborn child of the king has more. Impact right.
0: exactly is is a more important kind of sacrifice. So right. there's some speculation that that may have been done sometimes in extremis, but that the Romans either intentionally or accidentally like dramatically ballooned it. over overestimated the amount and type of child sacrifice that was being done in Carthage someone come to, I, I lost it
2: the satanic panic is forever yeah yeah that might that might very well be what have happened they heard about a, mm-hmm. a ritual that Carthaginians were were doing for whatever purpose mm-hmm. and whatever style and they heard well oh yeah children sacrifice oh no
0: they're killing <laughs> them wrong <laughs> How um, Exactly. And to the wrong gods. So one of the gods who may have received child sacrifice, because that's technically I'm here to talk about a specific deity. Yes. But I got need, distracted. We got distracted. Um, so
1: get back on task, child. Yes. <laughs>
0: uh, one of the gods who, who may have received child sacrifice was Baal-Haman, who was the chief god of Carthage. Because mm-hmm. like I said, Carthage was a Phoenician colony, but it developed a distinctively Correct, Punic, Carthaginian style, and so their pantheon was slightly different from the traditional Phoenician pantheon. Mm-hmm. Baal is just a word that means lord. Baal Haman just means lord Haman. And what Haman means is question marks, as is usually the case with these things. So there are some options. There's a mountain there called Mount Amanus, so he could be the lord of Mount Amanus. There was a place called Haman so it could have been Lord of Haman, he which was sort been... of between. It's a it's a city that was between. Tyr and Acre, which was an area that was occupied by the Phoenicians at the time, and the Carthaginians, the original group of colonists who went to found Carthage, came Mm -hmm. from Tyr. So it's possible that they brought the lord of Haman from Haman with them to Carthage. The regional deity. Mm -hmm. One of those uh, chicken or the egg. Exactly. Mm -hmm. It could also be, so there's a word similar to Haman, which means brazier. Mm -hmm. So it could be he was lord of the braziers or lord of the fires. Very unclear exactly what his name means which Mm. is frustrating because so frequently in these kinds of situations the name gives you a lot of information about what their role is right so he is usually seen as having been a solar deity but there are some claims that he might have also been a lunar deity so either way we know he was like associated with the sky Mm. and with the heavens he was a weather deity so he was one of the like standard sky daddy controls the weather deities
2: Jackson's
1: cracking
0: up over here. Sky Daddy. <laughs> it's a very standard trope in Pantheon. It is, <laughs> in also, oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, he was one of those. And he had um, a strong association with the vegetation mm. and agriculture. Which, which makes
1: sense which, if he was a Sky Daddy.
0: Exactly, and... <laughs> Carthage and the probably the reason he was so important in Carthage is that Carthage had like I said very this very right. prime agricultural territory that it right. controlled and that Rome really really wanted and did eventually get. Y'all keep saying sky daddy and <laughs> Zeus is kind of show up for uh, looking for a party. <laughs> <laughs> So, sometimes he was also called Bal Karnaim, which means two horns. So, Lord of Two Horns. In that aspect, he was associated with rams. So, may have been sort of a fertility association Mm. there. There are actually a couple of place names that are associated with the Karnaim name. But in... Interpretatio Grieci and Interpretatio Romana, which are interpretations by the Greek method and interpretations by the Roman method, because Carthage existed during the prominence of Greece and then was crushed by Rome. So in those methods, Bahaman is associated with Cronus and Saturn, not Zeus, the, like, sky daddy concept, Mm -hmm. but the, like, deep original primordial lord concept. And there's actually some thought that, so there was a brief period of time where Rome and Carthage were at like peace with each other and were sort of sharing and syncretizing and it's thought that the Roman festival of Saturnalia was actually inspired uh-huh. by rituals which were performed to Baal Haman, whom the Romans associated with Saturn. Other than that we know almost nothing about how Baal Haman was actually worshipped mm-hmm. because when Rome burned Carthage they destroyed Almost right, every single document in the city,
2: oh. mm. purposeful,
0: intentionally. Yeah, yeah. they re- they preserved a very few Carthaginian texts: Hannibal Barca, a couple of like prominent philosophers, and like I think they they preserved like a cookbook. And that was like pretty <laughs> much it. Everything else from Carthage was just. That make, obliterated. That like that they were me, like
2: just, ah, prime culture. Get uh-huh. rid right of everything else.
1: Uh-huh. No, I, I feel like that was like some like soldier going, no, I want this. <laughs>
0: they make good food here. They make
1: good food? No, we're not letting this burn.
0: Uh-huh. You know. But everything else. So that's why we know so little about how Carthaginian religion differed from Phoenician religion and, like, the specifics of the child sacrifice situation. That's why we know so little about it, because the Romans intentionally destroyed everything in Carthage. Yeah,
1: well, you know, those Romans...
0: <laughs> I continue
2: to be mad about that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even if they were sacrificing children, it could have been the same damn thing the Romans were doing. Ah, uh, this mm-hmm. child is sickly. Mm. Let's right? know, offer them to the gods.
0: Exactly.
1: But you know, we can't completely trash the Romans for that practice because many other civilizations have
0: done. Oh yeah, the no. Same oh, I, I, I this is what, what I'm the thing. saying. I'm, not, is, I'm, I'm making no judgment yeah. upon the practice of exposure. Mm-hmm. I'm. I'm, I'm saying... not judging it. I'm saying they're hypocritical. Yeah, no, no, exactly. no. I'm not talking about the
1: exposure and stuff. I'm talking about their utter obliteration of a society.
0: It's the the weird part is that it was unusual for the Romans.
1: Yeah. Usually, yeah. U- they usually... were usually. Come on, let's join together. We'll kind of. Yeah, meld like they, Your beliefs with our beliefs. And they we'll...
0: were certainly a conquering empire. Yeah, yeah. But they usually didn't just wipe something completely out. Well, something got somebody got pissed. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> There were several... There was a particular Roman senator for years and did every single session of the Senate with the phrase, moreover, it is my belief that Carthage should be destroyed. Didn't matter what the actual topic of that Senate meeting was. They could be talking about, like, grain tax. And at the end of his time, he would always follow up with, moreover... I believe that Carthage should be destroyed. So well, clearly he eventually
1: he, got people on side. He
0: got his wish.
2: You gotta wonder how much of it was truth and how much of it was like propaganda panic rousing amongst the Romans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, and we'll probably never have no. a better answer to that. No. Unfortunately, the,
2: the only way we would ever know if there's a Roman record mm-hmm. that somewhere. pops up somewhere,
0: yeah, somewhere which was contemporary lost. to the time, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, instead of what we mostly have, which is you know written 50 or 100 years later, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us for yet another deep dive. Uh, we know you love them as as deep as we can get on. Especially these subjects with very little context.
1: Well, some of them have little context. Some of them just have so much you can only scratch the surface. Yeah, that you
0: can't get into it. The two types. (laughs) Yep. You can find us on Google if you Google the number three and the letters P A A C or the number three and the words pagans and a cat. We have a website at threepagansandacat.com where you can find links to assorted social medias. Mm -hmm. Gwyn has a TikTok that she's particularly active on. Uh, Make sure you get the right TikTok and not a fake. Uh, imposter tiktok i
1: never uh, solicit people for readings if people need a reading they Mm -hmm. come to me
0: Mm -hmm. uh let's see oh i've got a a a new unrelated to pagan stuff etsy shop where i'm selling painted miniatures
1: and they're adorable uh
0: you can find that at ode to minis at etsy if that interests you gwyn has a blog on patheos pagan that Mm -hmm. she sometimes updates Yep, it's, it's been a been little a, bit, a, but little she's bit. got a lot of backlog if you want to read those. Uh, Jackson, you have anything you want to plug? No, I do nothing. <laughs> That's untrue. You, <laughs> That's you do many out. things, so they're just not on the
1: internet. Not on the internet. Yes. Not on the internet. No, I think uh, just Google com or three. Pack or, you know, Mm -hmm. 3PAAC. You'll find us. We're out there. We got lots of backlog. We got stuff and things. Stuff and things, stuff and things. So, as always, Mm -hmm. we thank our listeners. We thank our patrons. We honor you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.